Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's time once again for our show called Living Hope, a weekly journey. We bring in the people who are really dealing with this deadly disease and what they deal with on a daily basis. With our host, I'll say she knows the most, but she knows an awful lot about it after what she's been dealing with for 200 years now or something. It's a long time. I can't remember. <laughs> the number gets bigger and bigger. That's all I know. Thank Roberta Luna, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Let's go with 21 years. How's 21. that? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to live to be at least 100, but I'm not 200. Yeah, so, so 100. That's, that's, yeah. You're going to make 100 years. Yes, I think I will. 100 I years definitely. with pancreatic cancer. All right. Well, you today go. you have another person who's going through the same journey. Bring him in. Who would you bring with you today? Yeah, thank you. Today we have Jay Sandler with us. Jay is a 10-year pancreatic cancer survivor. He's been dealing with it. He's going to give us a little bit of background on what he's been doing his journey with it and, and how he actually turned that into something positive towards the end. So, Jay, thank you so much for coming. and We really appreciate it. We want to hear your story. Roberta, I just want to say how grateful I am to be able to come here and to do this and not just how grateful I am to be alive every day. Exactly. Uh, definitely. <laughs> so to, my story starts off with me being in Massachusetts to attend a funeral of my best friend growing up back there and I was in the bathroom the little bathroom and I remember when that bathroom was put in and being very nostalgic as you have to stoop over because of, of how it fit into the house it, ha it had a low ceiling and uh, I'm looking down and I notice that my urine is a very dark orange and that kind of gave me a bit of a shiver and I took out my cell phone midstream and called my doctor back in California and I let her know what was going on and left a message and when I woke up the next day in Massachusetts I had a message from her saying that she set up an appointment for me when I returned to California and I went to her office directly from LAX and and she said, well, I think we've got to look into this further and just see a gastroenterologist and I'll have an appointment for you, for him on Saturday. Wow, and, Saturday, that's unusual. <laughs> on Saturday, but, but before you see him, you need to take a CT scan. So right from the beginning, she was eliminating essentially weeks of delay. Because normal routine is you go see a gastroenterologist and it would take a week and then it's another week to get a CT scan, another week to get back to the to the gastro. So time was compressed in here. And that's kind of like all the steps that I went through kind of were that way. And so I got from that first symptom to operating table in 17 days, which is unusual from what I've heard, partly because of the way the bureaucracy, the medicine works, and probably mostly because the pancreatic cancer hides. It is a, a, an insidious disease. It hides. The symptoms are masked. There's no test for it, so it's tough. So I consider myself very, very lucky that I was able to get in as fast. And to get in, my surgeon was uh, Dr. Howard Reaver, and uh, one of the best in the world. And divine direction that I wound up with him because I would not have known what to do or yeah, or how to get there. Yeah. I think Paul has a question for you real quick. 
I have a comment more than anything else. Okay. I've now sat in this chair for some time listening to these stories. And the common story I hear is two delays. One, yeah, I saw something was kind of out of the ordinary. I better check into that one of these days. Not, hey, I call my doctor in the middle of going to the bathroom and say, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> Midstream, as you said. As you said. That seems pretty dramatic. So people put it off. They don't think, I got a backache, I got a stomachache, I, I got discoloration in my urine. Gee, that's not good. I better watch that. I better pay attention. To, and months might go by or weeks go by where you're doing that. And then when you get to the doctor, the other one I hear you always say, is, well, they want to rule out everything else. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. That's the last thing they want to think about is pancreatic cancer. So talk about that a little bit. This, that's a really rapid 17 days from the minute you notice some a symptom to your sitting in surgery that i've never heard of anything that no, very quick so yeah please. the only thing i can say is that the doctors that i've had are were just phenomenal and when i say that i had divine direction to find to get to these doctors i'm not kidding i believe that and the, and the reason i say that is that i lived in sherman oaks and I heard of a good doctor, and I said, uh, because I, I had developed diabetes, and, I, I, uh, and she sounded like a, a good doctor, and uh, her specialty is, uh, she was a primary care physician, her specialty is women's medicine, okay? She took me as a patient, and the remarkable thing is that I lived in Sherman Oaks, and she was in Ventura, not Ventura County, <laughs> At the end of the road, <laughs> uh, Quite a way Ventura. So that's like over 60 miles away. And she had the prescience to understand that it could be something uh, serious. And she went to the definitive test for a lot of things, you know, right away. What was the first test she did for you? She did a CT scan. scan. She did a, a, a CT scan. And then when I saw the gastroenterologist, he said that the surgeon is going to want to see a, a CNN-19-9 in addition to the CT scan. Yeah. Could you explain what this, the 19 uh, is? CN-19-9 is it's an imperfect test, but it's a test that evaluates how much of a particular protein you have and this particular protein is, exer ex is given off by the pancreatic cancer cells. So, and it's imperfect because there are multi different reasons why someone could have a high CA199. So it's, it, it can't, it's not used as a screening tool, but once you have pancreatic cancer, then it's used to monitor your progress. And that's done by blood work, right? And that's done, by, that's done by blood work. So I went in to, uh, since I was, uh, Dr. Reber is at UCLA, I, I went to the UCA, UCLA lab, and I did that on a Sunday morning because that's the be that was the best <laughs> time for traffic. And I figured he'd let him have it when I get there. And that's why I wanted it to be done at UCLA, to eliminate that and went in for the appointment. I wanted him to have all the information. Yeah. That's how I felt I could compress the schedule. 
And it was interesting because Sunday morning, at 7 o'clock Sunday morning, you know, nobody's there. <laughs> you know, there aren't a lot of people there. I wasn't in the system, and it took a while for them to game me into the system so they could actually do the blood test. But they did. We got everything, and he had everything that he needed in order to make the decision. Uh, I asked him about second opinion, and he said, well, we can see it right here. So we scheduled it right after the first year. So that was your first, your symptoms actually started in December, and then by January you were already getting ready until you had your Whipple. From December 17th to January 4th. Yeah. Again, like I said, that's amazing because generally it does. It takes anywhere from really three months on to get a lot of this stuff done. Um, you alluded a little bit to pancreatic cancer and the difficulty, and one of the reasons is because, for one, the symptoms can be so vague, it can be almost any other disease, and the reason why it is so hard to find is because of the location of the pancreas. It, it's behind the stomach and more on the spine than, you know, just laying down and feeling that they're generally not going to feel unless it's really large tumor. So yeah. And it progresses quietly, silently. And there. it can be very quickly as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so you went in, you had your Whipple. Did they prepare you? How did they prepare you for the Whipple? Or did they, as far as telling you what it was going to be like, how long it was going to take or anything like that? Well, they told me uh, it was a long operation and... It could go from six to nine hours. I'm not exactly sure how, how long mine took. They said that I would be in the hospital about a week. And when I left the hospital, I would slowly be able to pick up my life. And all of that uh, happened and is true. I had no complications. It's not uncommon for, for people to develop an infection or whatever that they have to deal with. But I had no complications from the surgery. The, I had... Really, the most minor thing was a that I it was really minor is that I had part of my incision had not healed, so I had a little fissure around my belly button, mm -hmm. uh, which is a nothing. And it's you know it's a, all the time you know it's something that happens all the time. And they had a visiting nurse come in once a day you know once a day or every I guess every other day to change the bandage, and it healed in a you know in a week or two. So you were able to go home and were you able to pretty much pick up a normal life or did you have to make dietary changes or anything? <laughs> well, in the beginning, you have to experiment with what you eat. And I became insulin dependent. I was a diabetic before, but I became insulin dependent. And that was a new thing. And then um, they told me that I would have to take Creon. And it was kind of funny the way they uh, experienced because they said, you're not going to be able to digest just fat and oils. So you're going to need this Creon pill. And oh, by the way, it's expensive. I yes. said, okay. <laughs> and the surgeon said, you know, don't take it if you, unless you need it. And I said, okay. And, but meanwhile, when the, the registered dietitian was telling me in her very quick visit, because they're very, a registered dietitian is very important in, in the recovery, but it's hard to get them because they're extremely busy. So when she told me that I wasn't going to digest fat unless I took the crayon, I said to myself, yay, I can have as much ice cream as I want as long as I don't take the pill. And I did. I had uh, used to have two bowls of ice cream every day. 
one with the dark hot chocolate and one with milk chocolate uh, chips. I mean, uh, why would you combine them? I mean, <laughs> you know, so, but the only issue with that is that I was on the toilet 10 times a day before <laughs> noontime because <laughs> it was a lot of that. I never had diarrhea. My stools would always be unformed, but it, it was never really diarrhea. And I don't think I ever took Lomotil or any kind of over-the-counter or prescription medicine for, for frequent bowel movements. One reason was because it was the price I was willing to pay to have those two things of ice cream. But through my journey, you know, my dentist said, you should take probiotics. So I called my gastroenterologist. I said, is it okay? And he said, sure. It, you know, we don't know. Well, it's not going to harm you, and we don't know if it's going to help you, but it's not going to harm you. And, and that helped, you know, from 10 down to 8. So that was good. And then I developed a blockage in an artery. So the uh, heart doctor said, you know, you should really go on a, the Cleveland Clinic diet, which is limit oils to 10% of your daily calories, which is extremely difficult to do. And no salt and a very heart-healthy, extremely restrictive heart-healthy diet. No two bowls of ice cream, right? <laughs> no two bowls of ice cream. And vegan. So two bowls of ice cream, two less poops. Vegan, two less poops. And then my gastro, got, got a new gastro. Okay, and we're talking to her. She said, well, why don't you try taking a little uh, bulk-forming laxative? And I said, okay. And she said, well, it takes out the liquid in your, if you have too much liquid in your intestines, it'll, it'll absorb it, so it'll... It'll form it up better. Yeah. 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 I said, okay, so I did that. <laughs> I'm two more gone. <laughs> so each little thing. And then the crayon, you know, I finally started taking, the, oh, I started taking the crayon. My problem, the thing was that I felt I didn't need the Creon. First, I didn't want the Creon so I could have the ice cream. Then, when I got down to such a low content of fat in my food, I said, I don't, what do I, I don't need the Creon. And so I, I stopped taking the Creon. And I would advertise this. I, I would <laughs> tell every doctor, you know, I'm not taking the Creon. And I got a new gastroenterologist. And... They kept leaving me. I don't know what happened. I, 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 I don't <laughs> they know. moved on. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but they changed offices, so I, I got a new uh, new gastro uh, comes in. And I, t- I explained to her, and she says, okay, it seems to be bothering you. Why don't we test you? So uh, they tested me uh, for all kinds of minerals, and I did not have any A, D, E, or K in my body because... A, D, E, and K are fat-soluble. If your body doesn't digest the fat, it, it doesn't get at certain vitamins. Mm-hmm. So now I take a vitamin that was originally developed for people with cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. That is easier for me to absorb. And, oh, by the way, I'm taking the crayon. <laughs> I'm taking you the, broke down and did the crayon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm taking the crayon. Did you do chemo after your Whipple, or did you just was it just the Whipple, or did it follow up with chemo? Back then, they did not start off with chemo before the Whipple. 
and I had Fulfernox six months before uh, Fulfernox after after the surgery. Uh, yeah, yeah, after yeah after the surgery, and you know I got to say that the the surgery is tough, but you get through it, okay. And Fulfernox, everything they say about it is absolutely true. It's a oh, tough one. No, okay, tough. but you get through it. And fulfurinox is the, uh, my understanding, is one of the more effective for certain people because it's got four agents instead of one or two. So, yeah. And then you went for a period of time where you had no evidence of disease, and then it, it reoccurred and you went through a, a, a new procedure? Yes, I went through, well, not, not a procedure, a new chemo. Oh, okay. A new, a new chemo, and uh, I had about three months NED, which is uh, uh, no evidence of disease, and that's typically measured with your CA199 under 35. And I had uh, three months being very happy, but always looking in the rearview mirror. So I went in, and they, my CA199 elevated. It was in the 50s, and then we repeated it, and it got higher. So started back on, started gemcetabin and abraxane. And I was on that for three or four months and then was, uh, got clear, thought I had it made then, took out the port, okay, and then four months later, the CN19 is going back up again. And I don't even remember what that third agent was, what the third agent was, except that it wasn't doing very much. And then, being very lucky, again, grateful, is that they developed, uh, they, uh, they developed, or I guess it was in development for a while, but it finally became available, was the liquid biopsy. And from that, they were able to collect the circulating cancer cells in your blood, isolate them, and then do a DNA analysis on the, tr on the tumor itself. So the liquid biopsy, is that where they, did they go into the pancreas or was that done through blood work or how was blood it work. Blood work? Blood work. Oh, and, they, and they got the circulating cells within your blood. And I guess with the science of it all, it, they don't need to be actually cancer cells, full-blown cancer cells, but the tests are able to use some of the destroyed cells that are, st that are still partial cells that are still circulating so based on that they found something i don't I, I honestly don't know what it what 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 the mutation was when i suggested it to the doctor and then we were first talking about it and he said jay this is great but you know this is like brand new this is like just months old we don't know i don't know i'll i'll, I'll know what to do with the information that it gives us because it's so new but you can spend the $1,800. <laughs> I said, okay. And uh, I figured that I had to do anything and everything possible I could to improve my odds. Right. And that was what saved my life. Because when the results came back, he said, oh, I can do something with this. And he put me on Gleevec. And I've been NED ever since. And how long has that been now? Uh, six years, six years. <laughs> well, congratulations! That's yeah. great. Six years, yeah. and it was great to get you know to the you know to get the news about Gleevec, okay, 
And then the pharmacy called and said, well, Mr. Sandler, you know, maybe we th think you should talk to the specialty division because these pills, these, this Gleevec is $12,000 a month. And that's not, and the insurance company doesn't, you know. Yeah, very expensive. So they found, thankfully, thankfully, they found a patient assistance program. And I had to pay, you know, a chunk of change out of my own pocket. But the patient assistance program took the brunt of it. And it's a, I would have been alive but broke. <laughs> Well, good. And um, unfortunately, we're really, uh, we're getting to the end and we're running out of some time, but I know that you are one of the mediators of a peer-to-peer -peer support group. Can you just tell us about that really quickly and give people an idea how they can get in touch with you? Yes. The peer-to-peer, -peer, it's a peer-to-peer -peer support group. It is uh, facilitated by ancan.org, ancan.org. So if you just, in the browser, put in ant org forward slash pancreatic it will bring to you our little page it'll introduce the mo the moderators and uh, we meet on the fourth Thursday every month at five o'clock Pacific for, time Pacific time we encourage new people to come in 10 minutes early so we can make sure your audio and visual and video works we don't use zoom so we use, a, we use something else. ANCAN was the uh, originator of peer-to-peer -peer internet virtual support groups. And we have a, a group that runs between 6 to 20 people, normally around a dozen. There are times when we have over 100 years of uh, survivorship on the call. And it's a great place for... Newly diagnosed, whatever your stage is, wherever you are, it's a great place uh, to come for new people. With the people that's, that are on that call have a gut experience with every therapy, every different kind of clinical trial, every kind of chemo, all the variations of, of the pancreatic surgery. So it's a great place for to learn a lot. And for people that have been around for a while, it's a great place to share your experience and to help people on their journey. We yeah. yeah, I think, and I plan on attending the next one. I, I missed the, the one, but I do plan on attending the next one, and we will put the website on out there as well so people can get it, but that was ancan.org slash pancreatic? Yes. Okay. And like I said, we will make sure to put that on there. But I do want to thank you for coming and sharing your story. And unfortunately, the, the time goes by so fast that <laughs> I know there was a lot more to talk about, but it just doesn't, maybe we need to extend. I'm not sure. We'll have to talk about Paul about that later on. But anyway, I want to thank you for coming. And as long as you say my name, I shall live forever, is dedicated today to Doug Snyder. Doug died in 2017 after a two-year battle, was a firing force on with the OC affiliate and their planning committee for Purple Stride. He was an amazing, generous man who donated his body to science to improve health care for future generations. So just wanted to give out a shout out to Doug Snyder and his family and thank them for everything that he did for us in those, that two-year battle that he had. Well, there you have it. One more reason to tune in each and every time to Living Hope. 
our real live living journey with those struggling through and with pancreatic cancer. The real life stories of those really dealing with it and how they deal with it on a daily basis. And if you know somebody who's dealing with it, or maybe it's you, lots of resources out there. We've given you several uh, through this series. Let's give you one today uh, that's a good one. And that is, of course, the Hirschberg uh, Foundation for Pancreatic Cancer Research up in UCLA. Go listen to some of their past interviews in the show and reach out to them. they got lots of resources to help you. Pancreatic.org. Doesn't get any simpler than that. P-A-N-C-R-E-A-T-I-C. Pancreatic.org. Or call them at 310-473-5121. For the OC Talk Radio Network, I'm Paul Roberts. Thanking you for joining us. Hoping you'll share this story with somebody else. And come back and hear more. As we stream live from our studios here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.